On today's show, three steps to take after surveys. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 150. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. I'm so glad to have you with us for episode number 150. And I have Bonnie here to uh, celebrate this milestone. I wish I had one of those little things you blow into and it makes the little party noise, the party favors. Yeah, I was going to try and make that sound, but <laughs> I don't think that's... I think I would wound, wind up sounding like I was imitating a dolphin or something. Yeah. And, someone, and I don't even really imitate dolphins well either. <laughs> someone would end up driving off the road somewhere and yeah. I'd feel bad. So we're here to talk about three things that you should do after you take a survey and you're going to actually do those three things as we speak or, yeah, I, or close to it. I am. I am. And so I should say I'm a little hesitant to uh, air this episode just because I, I, I listen to podcasts sometimes and people just talk incessantly about themselves and their business and their organization. And so I'm a little hesitant to focus the show too much on us or the Coaching for Leaders podcast itself. Uh, that said, I wanted to share some of the listener survey information and um, we wanted to do it in such a way that uh, even if you don't have any interest in that, you would get something of value from this episode, which is what should you do as a leader after you administer a survey to your team, your organization, maybe even you administer a 360 and you collect feedback? What are the kinds of things you want to do after that? Because the, the front end stuff, frankly, is pretty easy, I think, you know. I, I don't know if I think the front end is easy just because it's so easy to have bias in your questions. So to me, I have I actually think that the before part is the hardest part of the process and the after part's pretty easy, but maybe that's because I've done the after part so much and mm. seen so many things that can go wrong on the before part. I always try to show my questions to people in advance to see if I've had any bias in there that I don't recognize. Different difference mm -hmm. of opinion there. Yeah, I I think sometimes it's 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 really easy for people to get done with the survey and they're like, okay, we're done. Yeah. And not really do anything with it or kind of give lip service to it. And so I think that that's when I say it's 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 um easier on the front end. I think that the path is more structured on the front end what you need to do. Mm -hmm. The the end part is more nebulous and that's what I I think today if we can give people some some direction there that would be helpful. Yeah, and just a couple of notes for the listeners who may not know this and may be interested in the technical aspects. Dave used the online survey tool called SurveyMonkey. And <laughs> Dave actually paid for the paid membership because he had some branching that he wanted to do in the survey. So branching would be things like if I answered yes or no to a question, I wouldn't get questions I, I could skip over them if they didn't relate to someone who answered no, for example. Exactly. And that it was $30 for a month subscription or something. Yeah, it was something like that. 26 bucks for a month, which yeah. really reasonable considering you can get, I think it's like a thousand responses or something. So yeah. And good. I used the same tool recently, but I didn't pay for the membership. And I thought it was really very beneficial for what I got uh, for nothing. <laughs> it was, it was a really good tool. And and I think both of us might have used it also for our dissertations, if I recall. At least I think pretty sure I did. I did. Yeah. It's a great tool. So if you're if you need to do a survey, 
and you're looking for a platform, SurveyMonkey is a great one to do. So and I think, Dave, too, the conversation today is important. If you're thinking about doing a survey, think in advance about what you'll do with the information and how you'll communicate it and when. And I think that really helps make the process easier. Yeah. Well, the first thing to do to, to uh, do after the survey is to thank people. And so I wanted to take a moment to thank all the people who took time to complete the listener survey. Over 100 people went online and completed the survey and took you know five or 10 minutes to give feedback. And a lot of people wrote a lot of things on the fill-in answers, even though those you could skip them and they weren't required. Um, I, I'm really grateful for all the feedback that people received. And, and I think that one of the things that sometimes missed in surveys is not taking the time to thank people for doing it. And that was something I remember um, someone telling me a long time ago, Bonnie, when you administer a 360 is to find some way to thank people. And thanking people could be as simple as saying thank you, or it could be something more formal. If you know, you're know you doing an organizational survey, maybe you do something nice for people. But I don't think it has to be something more formal than just thanking people. Um, in fact, I when I was administering the survey, Someone else I know who runs an online, doing something online, I can't remember who it was, said, oh, what are you, what, what gift are you giving people to encourage them to fill out your survey? And I said, well, I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think people will just want to participate, and they did, and I'm, I'm so glad that they did. And so thank you for doing that. And you know, maybe we will do something like that in the future when we do surveys, but uh, I'm really grateful that, that so many of you went online and got a lot of great feedback. There wasn't a single thing that I read in the feedback that was not helpful or valuable in some way. Um, now, we some of it we'll talk about here on today's show and some of it we won't, but just, just hearing thoughts and uh, wisdom from people was amazing. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, and I think part of it too is that you're, you're sort of distinguishing between extrinsic and intrinsic rewards and that people must have done this because they, they saw some intrinsic reward from doing it or perhaps they saw that their reward would come in a better listening experience, which any way that mm, happens. Yeah. So you've earned that trust with the listeners to have them think it was worth their time. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And and that's uh, and we'll get to that as far as what we'll do differently with the show based on the feedback. So the second piece, so first thing is thank you uh, when someone, when people complete a survey. The second thing is to share the results. And uh, let's speak broadly about this before getting into the results of this survey. Um, you know, I think that this is something that is whenever uh, I've gone through and talked with people who do like organizational climate surveys, organizational culture surveys, is uh, they always try to get agreement. It's kind of a best practice to get agreement from who's ever administering that survey to once that survey is done, that you agree that you'll share the results with the employees or with the organization. And almost everyone agrees to that on the front end. And then it's been my experience talking with some people over the years who do these surveys that once the actual results come in and you see something that's there that maybe it doesn't isn't reflective of the leader well or reflective of the organization, the tendency of some leaders is to downplay that or maybe not share that part of the results. And I think that there's a lot of value in being very forthright about what people said. Because people already know it because they they've said it in the survey. You're not telling them anything they already know. And I think that you, you really reduce trust in your organization if you attempt to cover up something that is the elephant in the room and not say anything about it. 
Yeah, I think you can actually really leverage the thing that people would typically not talk about because they thought, oh gosh, there's this really extreme criticism and that's scary to let that out there because it's going to reflect poorly possibly on me or on my team, which of course might reflect on me. And the fact of the matter is I have seen people who I highly regard, I've seen as so successful in their careers who could be so transparent about that criticism and then say, so we're going to do something about it. If everything is just always good and things are great, we're moving right along. That's really not much showing as a leader that you're able to have an impact. But if you can really identify some serious criticisms and then go and and make a change, to me, that's that's establishing more credibility as a leader. A couple of things on surveys too that I think are really helpful. One of the institutions of higher ed that I'm involved with recently hired someone to do a survey for them. And I thought it was really smart how this this research company put it together because the first very first pages were here's our recommendations and well actually here's our findings and our recommendations and it was something approximately 10 to 15 very short looking bullet points and so it was we found this one sentence and then we recommend this one sentence and the one sentence that was the recommendation was always in bold so you could go in two pages and see Here's their finding. Here's the recommendation. Here's the finding. Here's the recommendation in a very, very concise manner. However, then it was something akin to 20 pages, maybe 30. I'm not sure I scrolled all the way through it, but that's the point because I wasn't really, I didn't, this was not something that I was actively involved in. It's not a demographic of the university I'm involved in. I was interested in the research, but not passionately interested. So it was enough for me to read those quick bullets, but I didn't need to know about their survey methodology, but some people will need to know. And some people really want to go into those details a little bit more. And I thought that was really a useful way to structure the communication of survey results back was that essentially, essentially the executive overview at the top, but the way they put it together was so smart. And then another example, one of, one of the things in, I teach a doctoral class one of the projects they have to produce is called an infographic. And if you're listening, an infographic is typically taking quantitative data and making it more visual. And if you do a Google search for infographics, you'll find all sorts of great examples. One of the companies that I really admire in this area is called Column 5. Dave will put that in the show notes Column 5 Media, they develop infographics among other things. And so it's taking a bunch of charts and graphs and numbers and and making them meaningful through making them visual. And so one of my students in that class asked me if it was okay, instead of using her research project, could she actually use it on some of the results from a recent initiative that she had done in her role? And I thought, perfect. So she wanted to communicate back to her school the results of something that they had done over the course of the year, some successes that they've had through an infographic. And it was wonderful because she had done it in a quantitative fashion. But when I saw the draft she she had asked in advance, is this okay? I thought, boy, if you could go back and get a quote from a student or from another teacher or from a parent or something and put that qualitative data in with your quantitative that will really have the polish and it was so fun because the school completely loved it and embraced it it was a new and different way of communicating their results 
And she did a teacher and and the student and the same student's mom. And it was just so powerful. It was really fun to see someone communicate results like that. So think about that as you communicate the results of your surveys. Well, and I think the broad message here, which you've just highlighted beautifully in that example, is it, it is a mistake, I think, in almost every situation if you have 50 pages of detailed results to hand out those 50 pages to people uh, and all those details. It is far better to have someone do the work in the analysis and say, okay, here are the two or three or four broad themes we're seeing and to make that very concise and say, okay, here's the executive summary. Here's what we heard, and here's some recommendations, or here's what we're going to do with that. Um, because otherwise, you overwhelm people in too much data and information, and you just can't. You can't get into the details of that too much. And quickly, as a follow-up on the resources, I mentioned column five as a wonderful place to go and get inspiration for your infographics, but they do also develop infographics for their clients. So if you were a larger organization or wanted to invest some money in some type of communication around a survey, they'd be a great resource to hire to do it for you. And then if you want to do it yourself, there's a great website called PictoChart that Dave will also link to in the show notes. And PictoChart allows you to create your own infographics. There's, well. a, there's a bunch of these services now that are doing infographics creation, which is great. And if you're a small to medium-sized organization and you don't have that kind of resource on staff, it's really amazing what you can do either free or really inexpensively online these days. And so, um, yeah, so let's get into some of these. I, I might actually do a one-page summary graphically of this at some point, but didn't have a chance to do that before the, the show is airing here. So um, a couple of just the quantitative things. So demographically, uh, thank you again. Over 100 people responded to the listener survey, and I found something which I always expect, uh, suspected, Bonnie, but we have a really intelligent audience listening. Over 40% of the audience have graduate degrees, and the vast majority are, are uh, have undergraduate degrees. Um, one thing I did not expect, and maybe this is going to sound funny when I say it, but I guess I had always assumed that this show was the audience was a lot of people who were very new in a management role or in a leadership role or were aspiring managers and leaders. And I couldn't have been more wrong on mm -hmm. that. Um, the, and so th that's really interesting because it's changing some of my perspective on just what I'll do in the future with the show. But 75% uh, of the listeners are currently managers. And of those, of that 75%, uh, over 60% have managed for five years or more, which was the upper limit on the survey. I actually wish I would have asked an even mm. bigger amount. And so, so that's really interesting to me that the audience is way more experienced than I thought. So, um, so that's actually already getting me thinking differently about the kind of uh, material and the topics that we'll hit on going forward in the show. So, um, so yeah, so that's the demographic information. So, so some three broad themes, speaking of getting information across concisely and having an executive summary. So one of the broad <laughs> themes is I need to be more concise. I don't feel like I should say anything more about that. <laughs> I know, it's so awkward. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I am even less concise than you are. So I think I shouldn't comment on it at all. I really shouldn't. The value of information you provide per word, though, I think is higher than mine. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so two themes came out under me being more concise. One was the introduction, uh, introductions to the show. And that's something I had already recognized and gotten feedback on from people that has shortened up a bunch in the la in the recent episodes. Hopefully, people have noticed. 
but also people have said just overall length of the show and some of the commentary is too long. And so that is something that I'll be addressing, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But being concise is something that came out pretty strongly in the survey, so I am thinking a lot about that, and I have an action item around that here in a moment too. So that was one theme. The A second theme that came out is that people really like and value and want to continue to hear more advice for practical actions to take. And so um, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started even hitting record on this episode that um, I was saying, you know, I feel like I could do more of that. And you were saying, you know, that you feel you felt like I did a lot of that already or that we brought a lot of that into conversation. So, I, well, I, and that was interesting, too, because you went back and read some of the comments and I'm thinking that person's not telling you that you're not doing it. That person's saying, keep doing this because I find it valuable. And yeah. it just depended on which person and which which comment. But isn't that really important to all of us when it comes to you think about a lot of you are probably listening to these podcasts perhaps in your car I, we have got one one friend of ours who we know listens while she cleans her house so it's it's one of those we we just don't have a lot of time and so we want it to be something we can take action on so that's something that that will be certainly mindful of in the forward is to continue to do that and perhaps even bump it up a little more and then the third broad theme that i heard from a number of people is People really like and they want more interaction with question and answer and and the mail shows. Um, now, the mail as an M-A-I-L, not, not M-A-L-E. No. Yes, email. I actually really do think very um, intentionally about having a broad diversity on the show of male, female, div- um, ethnic diversity, even political diversity, although we don't talk politics on the show. I really do try to think of like different people from who I know have different backgrounds on that. Um, but anyway, so uh, while we did have a couple of people who said they don't like Q&A as much, um, the vast majority of people who talked about this said they really would like there to be more Q&A on the show and that they really valued that. And would you mention what you said when I gave you that, when I was telling you about that? Well, what... One of the things you have talked about is taking action on that. And I just said, if you take action on this, you might be overcorrecting because I I just seems that I sort of didn't believe it. But then you reminded me that more people download the Q&A shows than any other shows. But it's curious to me, I guess, because it seems that you've been able to get some really famous guests. I, I don't know any better way to say it. New York Times bestsellers you've had in on so many different occasions. I really, it's one of the most impressive things I think about the show is these really high profile people that you're able to get on the show. It's amazing. In fact, listeners, if you listened last week, you would have heard from an astronaut. I mean, that's, that's just incredible. And a lot of times the Q and A shows are just you and I chatting right here. And so the evidence that you're saying supports the need for more Q and A, I still am having a hard time believing it, but I guess it came out in the survey and it comes out numerically. Yeah. And, and some people would absolutely agree with you on the survey and say, you know, keep the expert guests. I don't want to hear as many questions from other listeners. So it's interesting. So so um, we'll talk in a minute about what we're going to do with that. But here's the thing I think is interesting is sometimes what you say in a leadership role is different from the actions of what people actually hear. And here's what I mean by that. So on every episode, I say, you know, call, leave question. We pretty much answer every question that comes in. I mean, with the exception of a few that have been sitting for a couple of weeks here. Sorry for those of you who've done that. Um, but 
but people have a perception that the show doesn't have space for listener feedback, at least some of the people who filled out the survey. And so um, my intention of doing creating space for that hasn't really resulted in people believing that. So I think that that's interesting from a, from a leadership standpoint too of, are, is what you're saying really connecting with your actions? And I think part of the challenge is, is I haven't made a regular space for that to happen on the show. I've, I've sent the message of, we'll answer questions when we have time or when there's space or we get enough of them in. And as a result, a lot of people don't feel like there's a space to ask questions. I think it'll be interesting to see how it goes too. And I'm sure it's my bias too. I don't love listening to questions. There are other podcasts I listen to that have a segment on every show that are questions. And they're usually so specific to that person's situation. And a lot of times I'll just find myself exiting out of that podcast at that point and going on to the next one because there's a long list of ones I want to listen to. And to me, I like the broader themes, but that's more, I'm more of a holistic thinker that way. I'm not really... You are. Yeah. You so are. That's why I like it. It'd be interesting to see. So we're, we're going to do a little experiment with that. And I'll mention in a moment what we're going to do with that. But that was the third broad theme. So those were kind of the big things. Uh, of course, a lot of people said a lot of different things. And there were people, you know, one or two people said things here and there that we're not talking about. Um, all of those I read and have many of those recorded and uh, put for, you know, f- future things to do. And in some cases, we'll take action on them right away. And I, I think that that actually brings up a good point too, Bonnie, is sometimes maybe only one person says something, but it's such a valuable and insightful comment that you still want to take action on as a leader. Mm -hmm. Case in point, someone in the survey said, uh, one of the things Dave says all the time is he says, oh, I see that all the time. Mm -hmm. He's like, so that's a phrase you have. (laughs) And it's just kind of like one of those, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, Crutch words that I, or phrases that I use, filler words. And, and I don't really intend to say, I see this all the time, or I see that, you know, I see that a lot of the time. And you and I've talked about this, not using the term always, never, because there's very few situations that really are always or never. And as soon as I read that, I said, that is a problem. I need to, I want to crack that. I want to get better at that. And even though only one person said it, I don't know who said it. So thank you for whoever gave that feedback. Um, that's something that now I will listen for. I'm sure I will still do it, but I'm I'm listening for that and I hopefully yeah. will catch myself doing that more. I thought that one was a crack up as well because in interpersonal communication, you really hardly ever do that. And because Dave and I are have very high expectations for each other and how we communicate. So if either of us ever tries saying always or never on things, we'll quickly correct the other one and say no not always and sometimes not the nicest way I can recall I can say for myself I don't always communicate that in the nicest way but every time you say every time I will bring it up of of sort of that correct not corrective but just I'll call it attention to it that's why I know you really hardly ever do it so it's it but I did recall when I read the person's comment I guess a couple times you doing it on the show. So mm-hmm. very, whoever has said that, that was really insightful. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so too. That was really good. So, um, okay. So now the third thing you want to do after the survey. So, okay. We've talked about, thank you. Share the results of what you've heard. Take action. What are you going to do? So tell people what you're going to do and, and maybe even if it's appropriate, what you're not going to do. Yes, I heard this, but I'm not going to change this. Um, so, so I've, I've looked at this and gotten some feedback from Bonnie and we've looked at, okay, what, what can I do to really make the show better? And so, um, take action here. A couple of things that we'll do is one is I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the show length being 
30 to 40 minutes. And that's going to be hard for me sometimes, Bonnie, because sometimes the show goes for, it originally was a half hour show. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was 35 minutes, it was 38. And then there've been a few shows, there've been a couple episodes that went over an hour and that's just too long. Uh, People don't listen that long. And and I totally get that. So um, the show, the aim for the show is now going to be 30 to 40 minutes. And the vast majority of the time I'm going to be shooting for that zone. I actually been doing pretty good on that the last few weeks and I'm going to continue to do that. And that'll help with the conciseness too. Um, also, I'm going to really work on being continually intentional about that practical action. And in fact, at the end of every episode to give a practical action for people, if it didn't already come out in the interview or maybe even reinforce that in some way. And then, and then here's the part that's going to be the experiment is we're going to try to to uh, see if we can uh, addre- address and really make space for more listener interaction at the same time of not do too much where we, because one way to do this is we could put more Q&A at the end of every show, but then that conflicts with the being concise and keeping shorter shows, which is why I often don't do that. So we're going to do a question and answer show every month, and it's going to be on the first Monday of the month. That's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to try this out as an experiment and see how it goes. So beginning with August here, uh, August 4th will be the next first Monday show. That'll be episode 152 is we're going to do an all Q&A answer show. And each month I will uh, choose a topic and I'm always open to suggestions on that. The topic for this coming month is going to be on career direction. And the reason I'm choosing that topic is that's something that people said they were struggling with a lot in the survey, which was the last question. What are you struggling with right now? Which, by the way, is a great question to ask people because you really do hear a lot of good good things. So we're going to do a Q&A show once a month. We'll see what people think. If you like it, I'd love to know. If you don't like it, I'd love to know that too. And we'll see how people respond to it. So if you have a question and you're one of the folks that said, hey, I wanted more questions, is to uh, start sending in questions. And I will let you know the link for that when we get to the end here. And let's see, what else to say here? Oh, products and services. So one part of the survey um, that I mentioned when we administered this is we're considering doing products and services that will be available to the listening community. And there was a whole bunch of things listed. And I asked, what are you interested in? And thank you for those of you who gave feedback on this. There were two things that came out on top. One of them was an online resource library. Uh, So just tools and resources available to people with a lot of information. And then the other one was short videos that you could share. There wasn't much explanation other than that. I've decided to move forward with both of those. So the first one is the online resource library. Um, In the very near future, within the next month, I'm going to be putting a portal up on the website that if you're already a weekly subscriber, you'll have access to. It'll give you a subscriber to the weekly update. You'll have a login that you can go in and you can download different reports and information. So one of those will be the ten, the top 10 leadership book report that people already have access to. But I'm also going to produce a whole bunch more, and it's going to be based upon the resources that came out of the expert interviews. So there will be a whole downloadable sheet on productivity tools, and there will be a whole downloadable sheet on you know a whole bunch of other topics of what are the tools and resources you'd want to have as a leader. That's something people have asked for for a, bu- a bunch. And so those are going to get online and available very soon, and it'll be completely free. Um, and then... We're also. I'm also moving forward on the short videos you can share. One of the things that I hear pretty often from people, Bonnie, is they'll say, I, "This the information on the show has been really valuable." However, I'm trying to. In fact, someone even wrote this in survey. I'm trying to find a way to share this with my team 
And the reality is, is if you are a manager running a staff meeting, you're not going to play a 40-minute podcast. Even if the podcast was a quarter of the time, 10 minutes, you're not going to play an audio podcast for 10 or 15 minutes for people. It'd just be weird in a staff meeting. But you would play a video. And so what um, what I'm going to be doing is putting together some video content. Uh, the current plan is to have one video per week. It'll be very short, less than 10 minutes, and it will teach a particular skill. It'll be valuable to members of this community, but it'll actually be intended for you to be able to show to your team to a st- at, a, at a staff meeting to share with um, to share with colleagues, and of course, it'd be valuable to you too. And so we're gonna do that. Uh, it's gonna we're gonna run it as a private beta test at first, and so it'll launch in the next month or so. Um, it will be a paid service, but it's gonna start off as just um, a private test. So I'm just gonna do it for a very small number of people, and actually I have a bunch of people in mind already who've been interacting with me around this. So if that sounds like something that might be interesting to you and you'd like to get in early, we'll have a pretty low membership rate, lower than when we actually launch it publicly, um, send me an email to feedback at coachingforleaders.com and just put in the a subject line, put private test or private beta test, and I will let you know when that's available. And it will be, uh, we'll, we'll have fun with it and see what happens. And if it goes great, we'll roll it out broad, more broadly. And I think it's going to be a really great tool for leaders to bring a training component into their uh, regular meetings. And I think it's going to be a great resource for people just to use on their own too. And it's going to be a lot of the things we talk about in the shows, but a lot more concise and visual. So it's something people can share really easily. So I'm excited to see what happens with that. And so those are the two big things. That's the two big things that are coming. And then we have news for you too, actually. We do. I have launched a podcast. You have. And I'm so excited that you've launched this podcast. Dave has been nudging me for years now to start a teaching in higher ed podcast. I, as many of you know, am a professor. I am not like a stereotypical professor, though, in that I am not super focused on research. More of my passion and my work is centered on teaching, effective teaching. I teach mostly undergraduate students between 18 and 22, but I also do teach master's level and doctoral level classes. And it's been really fun. We have already launched a number of episodes. I'm starting to line up guests and it's been great. So if any of you listening teach in higher education, whether it's a community college for a year, big school, small school, everything in between, would love to have you as a listener, love your ideas. Hey, if you want to come fill out our survey, I've got one online. It's at teaching in higher You can also access the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher by searching for teaching in higher ed and Dave will have the links in the show notes. And it would be great too, if you would pass on to anyone that you know about the podcast, because we love to grow our listenership. And I also have an ebook that I'm offering to anyone who signs up for my weekly updates. You can get a free guide to educational technology essentials, these tools that will help you use technology to facilitate learning. And that's at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. If you've spent any time in university systems, or if you ever taught a higher education class, you know that teaching is not unfortunately something that the skill of teaching in the classroom is not, a, it's not something that is given a lot of attention in the university world. And Bonnie is just brilliant at teaching people how to teach. And so it is really going to be a resource for how to do that well. So if you, if you know a professor, you know someone who just wants to learn how to teach better, 
it's a great resource and uh, I'm, I'm so glad to be helping you with it too. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's see here. Um, what else? Did we hit on everything, I think? We get to give some practical advice now. Oh, yeah, the practical advice. So my practical advice is uh, thank someone who has taken a survey or given you feedback recently. So maybe you just completed a survey as well, too. Maybe you did a 360 and you asked people for help or or a contribution to it. Um, or maybe you just received feedback from someone in some way in the recent past my practical advice for you this week is to thank them. Take a moment just to say thank you for doing that and or maybe find a way to formally thank someone. And if you do that, I think that you'll find that uh, you'll get people more willing and able to continue to give you feedback in the future. Hey, speaking of feedback, I would love it if you'd hop online and join the conversation about our dialogue today. You know, maybe there's something you wrote on the survey that we didn't talk about and you'd like to know my thinking on it. I would love if you'd leave a comment. I would be happy to let you know what I thought of that comment or maybe something's come up for you. Uh, you didn't participate in the survey or didn't write something, but you'd like to know what I think about something related to this show or future topics. Join the conversation at coachingforleaders.com slash 150, and that will take you right to the episode show notes. And of course, if you have a comment, question, or feedback, especially one for the, the next Q&A show, which will be coming up for episode number 152, that'll air the first Monday in August. Again, the topic for that show is going to be career direction, and Bonnie has uh, agreed to help out with those shows, I believe. Sure. All right. <laughs> How about that for a commitment, huh? I'm trying to be concise. That's great. I love it. Uh, so so Bonnie and I will take questions on those first Monday shows, and then the remainder of the shows will be, of course, the topics, experts, the things you've come to uh, like and expect from the show. So if you have a piece of feedback, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And thank you this week, speaking of Folks who are connecting with us, thank you to those of you who jumped on to the weekly updates and are now getting the podcast notes every week. And those people are Chris Berniston, Krista Reed, Laura Schiesel. Hey, Laura, good to hear from you. Maria Padilla, Brandon Bentley, Guido Arabarena. Guido, I know I'm not saying your last name right. Let me know how to say it. And I'll get it right. I think it's a one. rolling R. I I can't do that. Dave is unable to roll his R's. I am unable to roll my R's. Lily Lee, Noah Ronan, and David York. Thank you so much for joining the weekly updates. If you'd like to join the weekly updates as well, you'll get my article every week as well as the podcast notes for every single episode in the future. And you'll also get the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, or at least my list of that, not the actual books. That would be hard to deliver on email. Um, and also the two books that I rely on weekly. And you can get there at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And in the future, that's going to be an online resource library in the not too distant future. So hop on there and join us. And uh, look at that, Bonnie, 35 minutes. Not too shabby. Concise, baby. Hey, I'd Maybe. love it. <laughs> aiming toward conciseness for both of us, I think. It's a tough crowd here in the studio. Uh, so, hey, we'll see you next week for episode 151. I'll have a great topic coming up for you. And uh, 
Call in your questions. Yeah, get the questions in here. Coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. There's a couple options for that. And uh, hey, the website's new and we fixed the podcast feed so people will actually hear this episode. Yay. (laughs) Have a great week. Take care, everybody.